0: So we will continue on today in our study through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So please go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Yes, we still are in chapter 1. Thus far we have covered verses 1 through 11. So this morning we will pick up our study in verse 12. But before we jump on into verse 12, let's go back and start reading at verse 1 again. So everyone there, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches Which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now we covered all of those verses in the past couple weeks. So now beginning our verses for today. Then, verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, so this is where. We begin to see some symbolism begin uh, that begins to be used by the Apostle John here. And again, we know that it is Jesus himself revealing all of this to John. We saw that in the previous verses, right? But it is John that has written it down. And we can look back in verse 1 there and, and see that we are reading about a revelation that Jesus... Is giving to John and that Jesus got from God the Father but why is there so much symbolism in this book the book of Revelation and we will see a lot of it as we continue to go through it now I'm going to take kind of a long route in answering that question the question of why the symbolism in the book of Revelation keep in mind as we study this book that Jesus Christ, of course, has risen from the dead. He is now in his glorified body. Things have changed from the body that Jesus was born with, right? When he walked on this earth, when he was born as a baby here. You and I, though, however, we're still in these temporary bodies, right? And the, bo- and the Bible calls these bodies of ours today tents, they are temporary dwelling places for our spirit, our souls, right? We all know and we understand that someday we will leave these bodies behind one way or, one way or the other, right? Now, I want you to mark this page and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So, you see, that's us today. That That's you and me. We know in part. We are still in this fallen world, right, where we don't always understand everything. We haven't clearly seen the whole picture yet. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, okay? And there's a whole mess, a bunch of stuff that we don't understand yet while we're on this side of heaven, okay? So what do we do? We walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Then verse 10 continues, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So you see, someday Jesus Is coming back and life as we now know it will be done away with it won't be the way it is now right in in verse 11 it explains when I was a child I spoke as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things so in other words things don't remain the same do they we kind of wish sometimes that it were was as carefree as when we were a child But things don't remain the same verse 12 for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now I know in part but then I shall know just as I also am known and now abide faith hope love these three but the greatest of these is love so the point here is we don't know everything yet but We do get through this life by faith, hope, and love. So since there is still so much that we don't know, and since Jesus wanted his servants to know this revelation about himself, that's how Revelations chapter one started off, right? Jesus wanted his servants to know this about him. Right. Well, since he did want us to know this about him and we only know things in part, he has given us a symbolic way of understanding it as we'll go through the book of Revelation. Jesus wants us to know who he is. But again, today, as he now is in his glorified body in this where Jesus is and the way Jesus is now, it sometimes it's beyond human description how wonderful he is. How awesome, how mighty, how powerful. So we know in part, right? So yes, he once was here on the earth. He once was fully man, but also fully God in human flesh. But he uses in Revelation symbolism to get a message through to John and ultimately to his servants. The original recipients, of course, were those uh, his servants of those seven churches. But this letter's been passed down to us now, and we are his servants that he wants to reveal this revelation to. So, as we turn back to Revelation chapter 1, during this time period, right, the time when John wrote this revelation down, it was around the year 96 AD. Christianity was suffering great amounts of persecution during this time, okay? Uh, Nero was in power at once and then uh, uh, Caesar Domitian came in power after Nero and he was the one in power during this time and of course what they were doing to Christians was horrible. It was horrific during that time and as we saw in verse 9 John was On the island that is called Patmos. And the reason that he was there was because of or for, as he says, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, in other words, John was suffering persecution for his profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And John wasn't alone, though, in that suffering. But John was the only of the original apostles of Jesus Christ that were that was still alive at this time. He's the only one that went on to die a natural death of old age. But um, there was a man, like I was mentioning, this man, Caesar Domitian. He was in power and he was extremely a very cruel emperor. Right. And he ordered for the apostle John to be boiled in oil. And John miraculously survived that event. And Caesar Domitian then ordered for him to be exiled to the island of Patmos, which, is, which was a barren place where they would send prisoners to die. Okay, so that's where John is. That's the picture we're seeing here. That's where he is at this time. Now, another possible reason for the symbolism in this book is that it is written in kind of what you would call a code, okay? This book could be understood, see this book could be understood by the believers of that day, and why was it that they could understand the symbolism? Why would the readers of that day understand all this symbolism that we're going to see as we go through Revelation? Well, you see, the book of Revelation contains 404 verses, okay? And of those 404 verses, 278 of those verses are based in the Old Testament scriptures, okay? Now, those Old Testament scriptures are not quoted verbatim in this book, but this revelation is based on that Old Testament knowledge. 278 of the 404 verses you can refer back to the book of Revelation. So the original recipients of this letter, they could understand the symbolism that was used because they understood their scriptures. And this is why for us too, it's important to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord by understanding the scriptures ourselves from Genesis to Revelation. Okay. Now, there's no requirement for that. We have no scriptural law today that says you must know the whole Bible or you will go to hell. But that's not the way we should look at it anyway. We should realize that God has blessed us By giving us these books in this Bible so he can show us how to live this life, how to get through this life, how to be strengthened and how to be used by him and how our lives can glorify him. Right. It is his desire that we know him. Of course, we know that he first loved us and he gives us now the opportunity to love him in return. And the more we know him. And by knowing his word, the deeper our relationship will be with him. Now, it would have been very simplistic here if the apostle John turned around to see the voice that had spoke with him and he simply saw Jesus standing there as John last remembered him. And John just said, "Hey, there he is. He looks like this." And he described him just as Jesus was the last time John had seen him on the earth, right? But instead, Jesus decided to reveal himself to John in this way, using symbolism. Jesus is wanting John and all of his servants to know some new things about him. This is a revelation, right? Remember, Jesus came the first time and he entered the world as a baby. He was weak, he was meek, and and he entered the world in the same fragile way that we all enter the world today. But when he comes the second time, and when we see him then, he will come with power and glory. It's not the same. It'll be different. Okay? When he came the first time, very few people took notice of him. And even fewer people worshipped him. Okay? But when he comes again, every eye will see him. And every knee will bow before him. Again, it's going to be different. When he came the first time, he went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And before doing so, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was spat upon, right? He wore a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, he will come as the judge, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and he will be crowned in a different way. He will be crowned with glory. He humbled himself. As a man, and he came to the earth to be the Savior. When he comes again, he comes as the Almighty, like he says here in Revelation chapter 1. He is the Almighty. So, as we continue to read this revelation, and as we look into the future, John is describing to us not the Jesus who was, but the Jesus who is to come. So he hears this voice and he turns to see, and first of all, seven golden lampstands. I told you I was going to take a long route to get back here, but I wanted to explain that portion of it to you as far as the symbolism. So he turns to see, first of all, seven golden lampstands. And what do the seven golden lampstands represent? Well, remember, I always tell you to always do your best to let Scripture interpret Scripture. As much as you possibly can. So, you know, we, all, we don't have to go very far right now to interpret what the seven golden lampstands were. We just need to jump ahead here in Revelations chapter 1 and look down at verse 20. Here Jesus is going to give us the answer as to what the seven golden lampstands represent or symbolize. He says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So that's very simple, right? Jesus gives us that interpretation thus far. This is what we see thus far. The seven golden lampstands that John turned around and saw represent the seven churches to whom he is writing to, listed there in verse 11. They were the original recipients of this book. Then, back in verse 13, John continues on and says, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. So John here describes the clothing that Jesus is wearing and it's clothing that is very similar to that of a, what the high priest wore back in John's day you see you can read in the old testament book again here's this symbolism referring us back to the old testament and you can read in the, in the old testament book of exodus chapter 39 what the garment of the high priest Look like. You can read what they wore. Their garments were described as having golden threads in the band that went around the chest of the high priest. Here with Jesus, though, the entire band is golden. Okay? And what is that symbolic of? Well, we know from the book of Hebrews, which of course points us back to the Old Testament, that Jesus is our great. High priest, right? Let's turn there. Let's mark this page again and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. In this book here, the writer, and it's people debate who the writer of Hebrews was. I'm um, Myself personally fairly convinced it was Paul. But in this book here, the writer is describing the covenants and the ordinances of the Old Testament law, right? Notice verse 1 here in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So, And we know that the high priest was the one that was like the highest in command of this earthly sanctuary, right? This man-made temple, this tabernacle, right? But for the sake of time, let's jump down to verse 9 here in this chapter. And speaking of this tabernacle, speaking of this man-made place where these religious rituals or ceremonies took place, verse 9 says it was symbolic, For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regards to conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. So in other words, all of those rituals that they would perform, they all fell short. They fell short because they could do nothing for the souls of men and women. Right. Mankind was still left with a very big problem. Even after all religious rituals are done, we're still left with a big problem. And the problem for mankind when it comes to sin, it's not an external problem. It's not on the outside. Right. It's an internal problem. And Jesus is, of course, the only answer to that problem. And then verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So what is the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation? It is heaven. That is what? What it is, right? Jesus, our great high priest, has opened the way for heaven for us. Okay? So, what we are seeing as we flip back now to Revelation chapter 1, what we are seeing is a description of the risen and glorified Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And John is beginning to describe who he is. And remember, this revelation is coming. John from Jesus, and Jesus got it from the Father God, okay? But it's being revealed who Jesus is here to us. The one that opened the way into heaven once and for all. There are no priestly sacrifices necessary anymore. So again, verse 13 here says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now, that expression, Son of Man, that John uses here to describe Jesus was a common phrase that even Jesus himself used to express who he was when he walked here on this earth. For example, I won't have you turn there, but in Matthew chapter 8, a man came to Jesus And said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So again, this is how Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. Another example of this is found in Luke chapter 19 in verse 10, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that's why Jesus came, to save the lost, right? But again, the point here is that Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man, and even referred to Himself as such. So the very simplistic point that John is making here in verse 13 is that it is Jesus that John sees standing in the middle of the seven churches, okay? Because that's what the seven, that's what the lampstands represented, the churches. So he turns and he sees Jesus standing in the middle of in the midst of these churches. So Jesus is presenting himself to John because he has something to say to the seven churches. And he wants John to write it all down in a book and to give it to them. Now, another prophetic book is in our Bibles, of course, is the Old Testament book of Daniel. And I want you to go ahead and mark this page and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And what we're going to see here is that Daniel will also prophetically refer to the Son of Man here in chapter 7. Look down at verse 13, Daniel 7, 13. He says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, remember last week we talked about that. John was speaking of Jesus and he said, behold, he is coming with clouds. Right. That's what John said. And Daniel continues on here in verse 13 and says he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. Right? Remember, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So over 500 years before Jesus came the first time, the prophet Daniel... Wrote of him. He describes him as the Son of Man, the same way that the Apostle John describes Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Now, I want you to keep your finger right here in Daniel chapter 7, but go ahead and and flip back to Revelation chapter 1. We will see that we will refer to the book of Daniel more than once as we go through Revelation. But here in verse 14, Of Revelation chapter 1 John continues to describe Jesus and he says his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire okay now flip um, keep your finger here and flip back to Daniel 7 verse 9 Daniel 7, 9. I watched till the thrones, till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Now let's go go back and read that one more time. I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Wool. Now flip back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. So Daniel is describing whom he calls the Ancient of Days. The term Ancient of Days refers to the Father God. And that's how Daniel describes him here. Yet John describes Jesus In the same way that Daniel describes the Father God. That is, they both describe him as having hair that is like pure wool. Again, remember, you can't miss this. Jesus said, I am the Almighty. Okay. Now, something else here, though, in regards to wool... And the white is snow thing, right? The color white represents purity in the Bible. God is pure. God is holy. God is righteous. But Jesus, who is speaking to John here, is also described as having eyes like a flame of fire. Now, what is fire representative of? Well, fire is often equated in scriptures with judgment. Okay? Okay. For example, Jesus is the Almighty. Jesus is holy and pure. Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He put himself into subjection to this world, but someday he will come again as the Lion of Judah, right? To execute judgment upon all unrighteousness. He will not come the second time as a Lamb, But as a lion, to do away with unrighteousness once and for all, it'll be done away with. Okay, remember, we live in a fallen world right now and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous or can be apart from Jesus, but Jesus came and he dealt with sin, didn't he? As God in the flesh, Jesus was the only sinless man to have ever walked the earth Therefore, he could go to the cross and receive the penalty of death for all of the sin of mankind. But he was the Lamb of God, which took away the sin of the world. His eyes now, it's different. The symbolism that John's using is, uh, it's now judgment. That's that's shortly. Jesus said, these things must shortly take place. Judgment will come, okay? Because now Jesus is, is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father and he has conquered sin, he has conquered death and the gospel of the good news is still going forth in the world today. That's why it's so important for us to spread the gospel because this is the only time people have to get saved. This period's coming to an end someday, okay? And John goes on here in verse 15 and says of Jesus, His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and His voice as the sound of many waters. So, again, His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Again, we just talked about fire representing judgment, and Jesus Himself went through the fires of judgment. When he was here on this earth, Isaiah 53 5 says that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Right? So Jesus suffered the judgment that all of us deserved. Okay? Now, as John mentions brass here in verse 15, brass is one of the is known as one of the strongest metals known to man. Right. And who Jesus is now as our risen Lord is firmly and forever fixed. Nothing will ever change about who Jesus is. You know, as we go through this life, it seems that like they say, the one thing that is constant is change. There are good times and there are bad times, aren't there? And none of us likes to go through the fires of hardship. But difficult times can have the effect of refining us and preparing us for a time when we will ever be with the Lord. But praise be to God that when we are in Christ, right? That is when we have surrendered our lives into His hands, we don't have to face The ultimate judgment and we also know that old things have passed away and behold all things have become new right why because Jesus suffered judgment for us again he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities so in this revelation that John again gets from Jesus We are being shown not the suffering Jesus, but rather the glorified Jesus. The refined Jesus, right? And verse 15 also says his voice as the sound of many waters. Now, I'm sure you can imagine the power and the sound of many rushing waters, right? And this is what the voice of Jesus was like to John here. Just a very powerful voice, right? It's kind of amazing when you see that, but yet we know that today, by the Spirit of the Lord, He can speak to us in a still, small voice. He's still compassionate and loving and kind toward us, that, we can, that He can still speak to us today. And of course, He speaks to us through His Word, but He speaks to us in His Spirit, and our spirits as well, through His Word. And he speaks to us in that still, small voice, but yet John says, this is who he is. This is who is coming again. This is the Almighty, okay? And then verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, let's just very simply Interpret the seven stars here again with the word of God right down in verse 20 it tells us the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches so we are seeing in this revelation that these seven angels are under the command of the Lord they are in his right hand okay which represents they're under his command and power and they will do what he tells them to do And we're going to see that as we continue through Revelation. Then also speaking of Jesus, it says in verse 16 there that out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword. Now, what is that two edged sword representative of? Okay, well, we know, right? I know you all know. But let's let's turn there. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four. Verse 12, and remember, I'm, I asked the question, what does that two-edged sword represent? Okay. Verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, out of the mouth of Jesus comes the all-powerful Word of God, okay? Today, you and I have the Word of God, don't we? This Word is a living Word. It is a powerful Word. And it has the ability to to change us and to work within us in the very core of our being, okay? And also, it's not just for us, right? The, the Word can go forth today and change the hearts of many, So the word of God is powerful. And let's read on verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So remember, the gospel of John chapter one tells us that the word of God became flesh. That's Jesus, right? And we must all give account to Jesus someday. At the name of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus, every knee will bow someday and nothing can be hidden from his sight. Nothing is hidden from the power of the word of God when it works in a person's life either. Then verse 14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So the word of God is telling us to not lose faith in Jesus. Stay the course. Keep on living for him. Don't, you know, don't lose that profession. Hold on to that confession your confession of faith, right? He cares about our every need. He wants us to trust in him and, and to not to turn to living like the rest of the world around us. And here verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is who we serve, the great high priest. And as we flip back to Revelation chapter 1, he has this two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's what John sees, okay? the word of God. And we are to reverence Jesus. And we are to reverence Jesus by the way we live our lives. John in verse 17 explains What it was like for him when he looked upon Jesus here, right? Verse 17 in Revelation chapter 1. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus again is all powerful. There will be nothing that is not under his control. And we have a tremendous hope and we have a blessed future. We we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord, Lords and Jesus wants us to know all of these things. And he tells John in verse 19 to write the things down which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So, again, this is an amazing revelation that Jesus has shared or is sharing with John here. And as we go through this book, it's all about the things which were taking place during that time period when John was exiled to Patmos. And it also speaks of the things which will take place in the future. So, that is what we see thus far in chapter one. Jesus is telling John to write about these things. Then Jesus says to John in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. So Jesus just basically tells John here, oh, by the way, John, this is what those lampstands and stars represent that I mentioned earlier to you, this is what they represented, right? And we talked about that. So we're in for quite a ride as we study through the the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep in mind as we go through this book that this book is more than just a book of prophecy. You see, if we look at this book only as a prophetic book, we will miss the Jesus that He wants us to know. what he wants us to know about himself. Remember, the believers in these seven churches to whom John was writing to were suffering through some very difficult times back then. And this book encourages them that Jesus is coming again. And there is a wonderful place prepared for them in heaven. And that's all going to be described to us as well. You know, we don't really suffer too much persecution as Christians today. Yeah, we should. (laughs) I think if we get out and we share our faith a little bit more, we might. But what I mean is no one's going to bust down my door right now and tell us to stop doing what we're doing. At least not yet. Maybe that time is coming, right? But we do need to keep in mind, too, that the Lord is coming again. And no man knows the day or the hour of his return and who knows if it will be in in any of our lifetimes. But what we are to do is to press on by faith, to continue to seek him, to continue to live in obedience to the living and powerful word of God. Right. We keep doing that all the way till the end until the day when we see him face to face. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for your living and powerful word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we have received your word, Lord, as we have grown today in the knowledge of your word, I pray, Lord, that we will go out and live your word, Lord, that we will share your love with people, the gospel, Lord. For we know that we live in that time right now where whosoever will can come. They can come to you, Lord, by faith and receive you. But Lord, that day is coming when that time will be no more and you will come and you will execute judgment, Lord. But Lord, we pray for our hearts as believers, Lord, that those that you put in our path, those that are around us, family members and friends, Lord, people that we work with, Lord, that we would be able to share your love and your grace with them now. But Lord, again, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray your blessings upon this day as we move forward in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.